Like it helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Jesus, I pray that your word this morning will speak to us in ways that we do not expect and that you will show us a little bit more about what it means for us to be your people who trust you, who have faith in you, who see your, who see your end in mind who see your goals in mind. Lord, I pray that this text today will speak to us in ways that help us to love people better, that shape the way that we care for our neighbors more, that assure us when life is a life that is difficult, and that we'll be reminded that you have worked all things together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose because you have been working to that end from the very beginning. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. And everybody in the room says? I grew up and I loved certain things. I loved football as a in particular, I love the University of Tennessee. It was a long day yesterday. I also grew up loving uh, fictional literature. Uh, I loved uh, anything that had to do with uh, space. Uh, I, not like real space, but like laser space. Uh, and um, But more than anything, if you had known me as a child uh, in the world that I lived in, you would have known very quickly that I loved professional wrestling. In every way, shape, and form, I loved professional wrestling. I was I gravitated towards professional wrestling. We were allowed to watch certain shows and not others. We could watch this and every Saturday morning I would watch this wrestling to my glee, to my grandmother's chagrin and I loved professional wrestling for numerous reasons. I loved the drama that was there. I don't know if you realize they're acting. I loved the pageantry that was involved. I love the nicknames that were there. One of my favorites was the Nature Boy Ric Flair. As I grew older, I loved Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who was uh, titled the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. I really liked the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. I thought professional wrestling was amazing, and I loved the names that were involved when you would watch this. 
when we read through the scriptures, we find that there is the name of God that we find, and that is Yahweh. We sense those Hebrew consonants throughout the scriptures. Whenever your Bible has the word Lord capitalized, if you ever notice that, just throw your hand up. All right? That's the Hebrew equivalent, or that's our equivalent for this Hebrew name of God. But there were other things that we see when we look through the scriptures that are tied to God's name. We see that he is the Lord of hosts. And then some translations reads that he's the Lord of armies. We see that he's the father of lights in the scripture. God has numerous names through the scripture that we see that we connect to him. Phrases that are used to help us to think about him in a little different light possibly. Jesus also has some nicknames that we use for him. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. In the book of Isaiah, it says that his name is God with us, Emmanuel. There's one name for God in the book of Romans chapter 8 that I had not noticed before. Because when you read through this text in the English, it words it in a one way, but if we were to read through it in the Greek, it says to us that God is he who searches hearts. The God of the Bible is searching our hearts. I'm reading from a different translation this morning. I read through from the ESV. I'm going to read again from Romans chapter 8 in the Christian Standard Bible. It says this to us. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Without, intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. He who searches Heart. So if you're a note taker this morning, verses 26 and 27, when we unpack those, they tell us that God is the one who searches hearts. That's a word in the original language that's used for someone who lights a torch, Indiana Jones style, and walks into a dark room looking for something in particular. So the God of the Bible searches every human heart looking for something in particular. What does he happen to be looking for? As we look through the scriptures, he who searches hearts is looking for the presence of the Spirit. That we would be people who are groaning out. The passage says to us that these groanings are too deep for words. Now, if you remember last week, we walked through the idea of groaning and how that's a, a difficult thing for any of us when we look at situations that we don't want to be involved in, when there is work for us to do that we do not want to do, like when you mow grass in Lake Jackson. I don't know if you ever looked out. It was 116 degrees on the heat index the other day. So when the husband realizes that it's time to go mow the grass, he tells the kid, you've got to go mow. And the child says, Ugh. 
This groaning in this passage lets us know that the Spirit groans as well. Why do we groan? Because whatever is in front of us we realize is wrong. The Lord searches for the Spirit who lives in each of us testifying to this truth that something's wrong with this world. The Spirit prays on our behalf. It's a courtroom scene. Whenever you read through Paul, he's usually in court. And as you look through this legal language that Paul uses, it almost reminds us of the courtroom television shows where you have a a judge and you have someone who goes before the judge who is the lawyer. But that lawyer stands before the judge speaking on someone else's behalf. It's only on Judge Wapner and Judge Judy do people get to talk for themselves. And that never ends well. But you see in this text that we have the Spirit who is interceding for us. Imagine you were to go to court and you were in such a situation that you needed a lawyer. And as you stood in that court, the lawyer that you had chosen for yourself was both judge and the one who represents you. When we talk about He, God, searching after hearts for the Spirit, He is wanting to hear that from what is within us as the Spirit of God, the person of the Spirit, lives in His people that we would echo exactly what He would have us to echo. Because there are times when we don't know what to pray. If we're having a completely truthful moment, just us and the Labor Day crew this morning, there have been times in my life when I could not pray. There have been times in my own life when whatever situation I was walking through, I was too angry to pray. Furthermore, there's a possibility of a time coming in my life when I'm not going to be able to pray. When we don't know what we're supposed to pray. As I walked through my my grandmother's life towards the very end, there was a time, this woman who had prayed day in and day out, who cared, my grandmother loved me intentionally, she raised me. And her prayer life was incredibly strong. Her and her best friend would get together and they would read the Bible together every day. Uh, My grandmother, who could not hear, would read the Bible aloud to her neighbor who could not see. It was a really good tag team, if we're going with that wrestling thing. But they would also spend time praying for their grandchildren. Praying for their children, praying for their families, praying for their neighbors. They would pray together towards the end of her life. We trust that the Spirit of God is at work so strongly in her that even in her state at the end... When she was not uttering prayers. That the Holy Spirit of God, who God is seeking after and searching for, is interceding on her behalf. That's what the Bible teaches us about the Spirit. When we look through the Scriptures, we see that there are two members of the Godhead interceding on our behalf at all times. There is Jesus who intercedes for our sins at God's right hand. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. He is our champion. 
And there's the Holy Spirit who is with us, making our case, even when we do, even when we do not even realize there's a case to be made. We are on the other side of the story of Lazarus, one that we are all very familiar with. If you're unfamiliar with Lazarus, I'm going to give you a cliff note version. For those of you who remember what cliff notes were, Lazarus died. Jesus wasn't there. Jesus comes to the funeral after Lazarus has died, even though the sisters of Lazarus were wondering where Jesus was the whole time. When Jesus gets there, you see groaning from him, weeping from him. You see a brokenness over his friend. However, Jesus has set this whole thing in motion by not being there on the front side. He groans because death says that something is wrong. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. The Spirit speaks. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit... Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit of God is so active in us that He is beckoning God on our behalf, giving truth and direction, even when we don't know what truth or direction is in our own terminology. But, okay, my wife, she's a minimalist. If you've met her, you realize very quickly she's a minimalist. We have four children. I'm shocked I can find them all of the time. But we have four kids, and, and we make sure that stuff doesn't get overwhelming at our house. Now, if you are familiar to my wife in that you are a minimalist, you're the one in your home who gets rid of stuff, could you just raise your hand and testify that's who you are? Wonderful. We are glad people like you exist. Uh, on the contrary, her husband is a maximalist. You may call me a low-key hoarder. I have issues with that. Now, I will throw things away, but I have in my mind at all times, whether it is receipts or, or papers or uh, various things, video game controllers that my children use that are broken, I should not throw that away what if I need it? Another thing to let you know about me is I can't fix that stuff, so I don't know what I'm thinking. Every now and then, Hope and I will change cars. She, she will groan, like we've been talking about, because she's got to drive my car, the 2008 Honda Accord. And there is inevitably going to be a stack of books in the seat. There's a possibility of a suitcase. My, my Costco freezer bag is in the back. She opened my trunk one day, and there was nowhere to put groceries. So she said, Chad, tonight, we're going to go through the trunk. Three big bags of things were back there. And she started showing me stuff. Do you want this? Well, I didn't want it, but I didn't want to get rid of it. So I just wobbled my head back and forth at her. Do you want this? I, I, we went through my trunk for probably 45 minutes. And because I could not decide what I needed and what I didn't, she did. Trunk's empty. 
the Spirit of God is interceding for us at all times. And there are moments when we cannot pray, and there are the moments where the things that we are praying for, God knows we do not need. God knows if we had those things, they would cause us to love Him less. God knows if certain things were not present, then our longing for Him would not be what it should be. One theologian says, uh, Still he seeks the fellowship of his people, sending them both joys and sorrows, so that they may detach their hands from the things of this world and attach their hands to him. The Spirit of God processes our prayers and processes our lack of prayers and stands before God as our complete representative. God speaking the language of God so that we are accepted. He searches hearts. I had no idea what I needed. I couldn't even utter about some of them. But she stood in my place knowing what needed to be there. The Spirit knows what we need. He searches hearts. He also does this. If you're a note taker, 28 through 30 tells us that He secures hearts. He searches. He secures we're about to move to one of the, our favorite verses. If you were with us just a couple of months, months ago, not monks, we, have, we don't have a whole lot to do with monks around here. But a couple of months ago, we walked through a series called Straight Out of Context where we looked at Bible passages that have been commonly misunderstood. This one was tempting for me. It was difficult to not walk through this passage. But I knew that Romans 8 was coming and I knew we would deal with it and I could bring it up. The Spirit who searches hearts also secures hearts. 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 28 is a verse that we like to place on our Facebook page. Verse 28 is one that we like to have calligraphied across our fireplace. Verse 28 has been in Greek tattoos for years. Verse 28, that those, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That does not mean that all things are good. It means that he who searches hearts is working in our hearts and minds in such a way and using even the things that are bad and difficult to help us to be more like him. This text is showing us as followers of Jesus that God who calls us is going to work things out for us. Again, we go back to the story of Lazarus when Jesus goes to the edge of the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. He called to him. And the response of Lazarus was a response to that calling. 
those of us who are in Christ Jesus have been called by God. And we will step out because we have been secured by him. How has God secured us? We get to these words in this text and we see that when we love God according to his purpose, that we are, when we're called by him, it means that we learn to love what he loves and his purpose becomes our purpose. His good becomes our good and we get that good. It's not a happy verse about us getting what we want necessarily. It's more of a matter of us being conformed in Christ's image and his desire becoming our desire. It's a call that creates what it commands. God would call us out. Call us according to his purpose. And he makes us the people that his purpose is intended for us to be. God calling But what about the bad things from yesterday? What about the difficult things I've walked through? Pastor Tony Evans in the the Dallas area, too many people are bound by yesterday. They're shackles. They are shackled by their past mistakes or their poor choices. Remember, we should always learn from yesterday, but never live in yesterday. Allow God to show you the bright new tomorrow he has on the horizon for you when you give yourself entirely to him. He's wanting to conform you to the image of his son. So let's deal with that before we deal with the words that we like to fuss and fight over. To conform you to the image of his son is something that God has been working through from before there was a beginning for us. For those who were in Christ Jesus... God is using every single thing to make you more like Jesus. When you consider family and friends in your own lives, how many of those family and friends and people do you love do you say about their children, they're just like you? Nature. How many of us, when we look at those family and friends and people that we care for, when we look at them, we begin to see not just their physical resemblance to their moms and dads, but their inner resemblance to their mom and dad. Good or bad. How many of us, when we look at our children, swell up with pride when we hear phrases like, they're compassionate just like you. They are loving, just like you. They really do care about people because they care about them just like you do. To be conformed to the image of His Son means that we would grow by grace so that we resemble Jesus more. This isn't rocket science. I know we're not far from NASA. That those who belong to God and who are in the presence of his attributes over and over will begin to display those attributes. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus or claim to be in Christ Jesus who would say that we've been called according to his good purpose would say, yeah, I believe I'm more like Jesus today than I was even a month ago. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. We've got a chain of words here. I don't want us to, to miss them. Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. 
One more time. Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Let's not be afraid of those words because there are some that are fearful of such words. Foreknew. It's not just the idea of knowledge. It's not just informational head knowledge. Foreknew, when we look at it in light of the rest of the Scripture teaching, means that we are foreloved. Before you knew that you needed to be known or knew that you needed to be loved, God loved you. God foreloved. Before you knew that you, God had set his affection on you. This is a securing truth. Predestined. Don't be afraid of this word either. It just means that God set something in mind beforehand. The original language, the word is similar to horizon. It's the idea of you going on a hiking trip. Friends in East Texas, hiking is when you walk up and down these hills. Hills are these places where there's elevation in the ground. You go on the trip because there's a horizon that you've seen. And you know that you're going to get to that place. God planned an incredible destination for us. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Called again, speaking, beckoning from another place to be with him. Justified. It's the whole theme of the book of Romans. That God has worked out our salvation. Glorified. That God completes his plan in eternity. Look, these are words we can fight and fuss over. They shouldn't be. These are helpful words. Because these words, when we look at them in light of one another, remind us of the security that we have in Jesus. One theologian says this, This is not a cold, barren, speculative theory, not an unnatural system of strange doctrines, as many people are inclined to believe. That's what we tend and trend towards belief. But that God would foreknow, predestined, call, justify, and glorified. This is a most warm and loving, a vital and important account of God's relationship with men. It is a system of towering but practical truths which are designed and adapted under the influence of the Spirit to mold, hear this, to mold the affection of the heart and give right direction in conduct. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. To be called, justified, and glorified. Our hope, our certainty in God means that He will do what He has set out to do. And why would we want Him to do anything else? Some of the pushback that we get for this is, but that means that we're all robots. Well, whenever we read the Bible, we've got to be careful to not say what it didn't say. And whenever people begin to talk about robots, I just want to encourage you with this. There were no robots for points of reference for Paul. No robots in Rome. They were robotless. This text is God assuring us. He called. Those he called, he justified. 
Justification does not and cannot work apart from the... Here's the thing. When we read through Romans, if you're reading through the entire book, you see justification over and over. That's kind of why you use judge illustrations. You being me. Justification does not work apart from the rest of these. We cannot understand God's justification in full if we do not want to even consider these other elements that lead to it. This is the equivalent of my wife baking a cake for our neighbors. And a cake randomly showing up out of nowhere. No trip to the grocery store. No kneading of the dough. If you Do you do that with cakes? I don't even know. But no, no addition of whatever you put in cakes. I just eat them. I'm on that side of cakes. It would simply be her saying, here's a cake, with me not thinking through all that happened to lead to that being there. God's foreknowledge, His calling, His predestination, they are all parts of that. They are parts of the work of God justifying His people so that we can be people when the searcher of hearts looks into us, he finds something because he's placed it there. Paul Tripp, pastor, writes a lot of books, has a cool mustache and wears cardigans, says this. Those are all true. If you obey for a thousand years, you are not accepted, you are not more accepted than, than you are when you first believed. Your acceptance is based on Christ's righteousness... And not yours. To undo the work of God in salvation for the sake of our own satisfaction with how we think this text should be read is to undo and misunderstand God's love for us, his affection for us, his care for us, his deep joy for us, and the direction that he's given us. Justified, those whom he's justified, he's also glorified. To have all sin completely removed. That's what this word means. I love it. To have all sin completely removed and be made completely perfect in body and soul. We talk about glory a lot. Some of my favorite pastors use the word glory all of the time. What we're saying when we talk about glory, the glory of God, really popular theme for people who write songs, people who write the bridges of songs that are sometimes longer than the songs themselves. The idea of glory is that God is completely void of sin. That He is completely perfect and pure, that he is all of the things that we, apart from him, need. So when we say that we are going to be glorified, we are saying that we will be people who stand in the presence of God forever because all of our sin has been completely removed. All of the things that caused us to groan in this life, all that was wrong, they're no more. All of the things that the Spirit groaned about when 
we were living this imperfect, impure life. All of the times the Spirit would say, you don't need that, you don't need that, you do need this. Those things will be no more. There is no more you don't need. And when we look at the words, every one of these words, you'll notice they're in past tense. We are saying that because of what God has done for us in Jesus, we get to know the unknowable glory of God. It's a paradox. But this is written in past tense, which means that God is not doing this as, on a whim as He goes. He has set this in motion from the very beginning of time. So that those who love Him and are called according to His purpose will be conformed to the image of His Son. That when we are conformed to His image, that God is squeezing us, which may cause us to groan. Wringing out all of the filth of our sin so that in our glorified state, We are people who perfectly reflect Jesus. This doesn't mean that this doesn't come with tricky understandings. People ask all the time, what what do you think about these words? I think they're in the Bible, so I've got to go with them. And I believe the places in this text that I have a hard time with That God knows more than I know. He understands more than I do. And he's directing me to be made more like Jesus. And this text says, you can trust in this security. He who seeks after the Spirit secures you by the Spirit. So that we're more like him every day. Are we living in a way that says that we are more like Jesus today than we were yesterday? That our hearts have a deeper and greater affection for the things of the Lord because he, we have trusted the squeezing, some call it, one gospel writer, the pruning process that's there. So that in our glorified state we will be like Jesus, but in our justified state we would look like Jesus here that our neighbors and our nations would see that this Jesus who we cling to is better than whatever they're clinging to. That our hope is in nothing less than what Christ has done for us and His righteousness. That Jesus has searched after us and He has secured us by His Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Tell you what, I'm going to be at the back table while the band leads us in song. If you need me, if you need me to pray with you, to whatever you may need, I'm there. M- 
maybe for you, you just need this morning to rest in the security that God has offered you in Jesus. To trust the, the process, literally. That's what you're doing. Trusting God's process. That He loved you before you knew you needed to be loved. That He has a glorious horizon waiting for you. That He has called you, that He has justified you, and that He will glorify you. And all of these have been done. So Jesus, we trust you this morning. We trust you when the tensions of texts like this make us question. I trust you. I trust that in this body as we wrestle with Scripture, God, that you are shaping, conforming, twisting us, God, even in what's hard, so that your good will be in place and we'll realize that your good is our good. So move in our spirits this morning. We ask all this in the name of Jesus.